oh my gosh, we're doing all this work to end stigma, to help people understand to what degree is this movie putting people back to the mindset, man, mentally ill people. Ooh, I don't want to be, you know, get around them. Oh my goodness, this could happen to me. And that's a false portrayal. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, we're going to be taking on one of the hottest topics in America right now, which is the number one R-rated movie ever, um, Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix. So our guest today is uh, Mental Health Association, Oklahoma's CEO, Mike Bros. And Mike saw it recently. I saw it recently. After I saw it, I knew the first thing that I wanted to do was talk to Mike about it. So, Mike, welcome to the Mental Health Download. Well, I'd love to be on the download, Matt. And I hope that we can just, you know, you saw it too. We can have it be both of us here talking about the reactions to the movie uh, Joker. And uh, it's a big deal in the work that we do. And so I'm honored to be on the show. So full transparency here. If you have not seen this movie, stop listening, go see it, and then come back and listen. We're going to be talking about plot points. We there There's definitely um, things that we are going to spoil. So spoilers are ahead. So you have been warned. Um, okay. With the one caveat I would add is I would really caution people of taking to small children to see this. Uh, at the showing I saw, I saw a couple bring in uh, a, a young girl with them, a daughter, I'm sure. And uh, she, it, it was not age. It was not age appropriate. So that would be my one caveat about go see it. Be, be careful. It is R rated, but nonetheless, it's not really a movie for children. No. And what I thought was interesting is that they had um, at the ticket counter, they had a sign that said, "This is not your typical superhero movie." Right. Be advised. Yes. Right. Um, so the other thing that I thought was uh, very telling of of the impact of this. Movie is that when I stepped out at the, when the movie was over, there were two armed security guards standing next to the door, and that was a reminder. Oh yeah, this movie was deeply, deeply concerning as it was opening. That this would potentially have, you know, a copycat of the Aurora mass shooting right. in Colorado. Without all, all that being said, Mike, my first question is: Why did you want to see this movie? You're a mental health advocate. Why would you, knowing going into this movie that it was probably not going to be very sensitive, why did you want to go see this movie? Well, actually, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really want to see it. And I did. I can't tell you exactly why I didn't, but primarily it was because I went into this still associating this movie, this character, Joker, with the Heath Ledger role that he did with Batman. And I that, to me, in hindsight, was more of a horror movie. And uh, the, that character of a Joker was all evil and all bad, and it was more of a superhero-type setting. But even then, I found that role really disturbing. And although I'm a huge fan, I was a huge fan of Heath Ledger, and uh, his talents were on display there in that role. But I had that still associated with this. And But then a friend said, some, sent me some stuff that had come out, and... And then I it was this. My friend wanted to go, and I said, "Okay, let's go." And so that's kind of really what got me there. But I didn't really want to see it. And of course, all of the buzz, the conversations, and 
you know, to some degree in my position in, uh, with the Mental Health Association, sometimes requires me to know what's going on in the culture. And that was also a factor. Yeah. So I, I'm very much in the same situation. This is, I'm a huge superhero fan. I've seen all the Marvel movies, all the DC ones that are good. Um, and when this came out, I was like, nope, I don't want to see that. Because I knew, I knew that this was not going to be the most uh, compassionate look at mental illness there ever was. But a friend texted me and was like, hey, I really want to see this. Um, his family was out of town. So I was like, okay, um, kind of like you were. Like, let's let's just go see what this is all about. I was really nervous going into it. And um, by the end of it, um, we'll talk about that. But I, I consider this, um, and my friend was shocked, that I consider this one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen. I'm not a horror fan. I don't go into those kind of things. But I just found it deeply unsettling on many levels. And so that's what we're going to be talking about here. So as a mental health professional, strictly, what do you think about this movie? Well, for me, it operates on, on several levels. One level is it, it really is a story about someone has, who has been traumatized uh, and what we know about trauma, what we're learning about trauma. And when people are, as children, are traumatized in different ways. And, and, and he, the character, was certainly had a history of trauma. You know, we know now that trauma manifests itself in different ways. And sometimes we can connect the dots there, and sometimes we can't. And But we're learning all the time more about, about that. And this is certainly a character who, to me, he had a lot of likability. And at times, you, I found myself watching saying, now, is, is what I'm seeing and hearing here, is that his reality or is that really reality? And at some points in time, I got a little confused. But again, I think, you know, that's a part of the art of movie making and to create those kind of, um, you know, sort of psychological, mental uh, sort of associations that, that go on with me as a viewer, uh, consumer of that particular movie. But I think that, uh, you know, that, that to me first was that layer is the pain that I felt about his pain and try, and as you went along in the movie you learned more about more about his pain and some of that pain and some of that trauma was in real time and it, you got to see it actually happen to him and what have you and you could sort of begin to understand but then as the movie wore on it seemed like his psychological well-being began to deteriorate at a rapid rate and then it started getting for me as a mental health advocate, a mental health professional, someone who works with people who live in recovery from serious mental illness, it became extremely painful and difficult to watch it for lots of reasons. Yeah. So one of the interesting things is, so he is very sympathetic in the beginning of the movie. And then he is, he has these, this laugh that is, they explain is a, a diagnosed result of the trauma that he experienced as a child. It, yeah, and it was basically conveying again. You did for me. I didn't know was that actual true, or was that the narrative, or was it a correct diagnosis, or was it not? We don't know. But absolutely, what you said, he would have these sort of uh, out of context, inappropriate, kind of maniacal laughs, and it it communicated to you through the through the story was that it was some sort of a um, a brain based neurological dysfunction that caused him to laugh like that. 
and it would unnerve people. And, you know, and you would just like, oh my gosh, please, I was like, please get, get yourself under control. Don't do that. I mean, you're like pulling for him, you know, and you're, you as a viewer, and that's where the empathy comes in. And again, that's more in the, as you kind of alluded to, it's more in the early, early, half of the movie. Yeah. Have you ever heard of such a thing, a traumatic brain injury causing maniacal laughter? I I have not. I mean, you know, again, uh, you know, I I mean, I have no doubt a lot of this, my, from what I can read and tell that there was a, a, that there's a parts of this and it's different pieces that there, it's not just based in total unreality that these things do exist in some form or fashion, but we're talking about, in my history in clinical practice, you know, we're talking about an extremely, if it exists at all, very, very tiny percentage of clinical cases that have ever, you know, over time, different things. And and my guess is it was probably a composite, different pieces from different things. And they kind of put it under one in one person. But does that ever happen? I would imagine it probably does. But uh, and again, those kind of things can be many times managed with me, uh, medication. But in that early phase of the movie, he was clearly, in my opinion, he was clearly, though, still, even though he had these this laughter that was um, disturbing to me as a watcher, but also you would watch the people around him would be disturbed uh, by it. It was unnerving because it was so out of context in a in a, an appropriate situation social situation very inappropriate and it would even even to the point of aggravating people people thinking that he's laughing at me what's so funny dude what are you laughing about uh, at what have you and, and almost setting himself up for physical and emotional attack trauma whatever you know he you could see though this goodness about him Oh, his care of his mother and his sensitivity to really everything around him. He was very, very sensitive, almost hypersensitive to a point where he got, he struggled with what are other people thinking about me? And he would start to try to read and understand their minds as well. But but he and his mother's relationship, there was an amazing amount of love and care in that relationship. And we're talking about, obviously, we know that he ends up murdering his mother. Uh, but we're talking in the, the, the really the, the, the good part of that movie um, is up to the subway scene where he shoots those um, stockbrokers. But up until that point, he, he is very sympathetic. And I think in a way, it pointed out the stigma of mental illness, um, that this, this is what people with serious mental illness have to deal with. Obviously, they don't have this maniacal laughter, but they are seen as different and they are seen as dangerous or all the horrible stereotypes of mental illness. So I, I I appreciated that and that they did give him humanity. What the viewer is left, though, it has a danger of drawing a conclusion. It would be a false conclusion that people with serious mental illness, even untreated, that this is the norm. This is what. And that is not true. You know, I mean, I in my work, I'm around people that are uh and again, you can see in the movie, to me, there was this very subtle transition, you know, after the subway incident that he began to slowly transition from being in touch with reality to being more in what we would call a psychotic state, out of, increasingly out of touch with reality. But 
in that, even in that out of reality state of mind, and I work with many, many people who are in an untreated state of mental illness, to be violent in this kind of way is like, I'm sure it does happen, unbelievably rare and very, very few isolated cases. Um, you know, most violence, again, these individuals are victims of violence. He was a victim of violence. More than once in the movie, he was victimized by others. Uh, and in that, 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 now that is very accurate. That happens all the time at, at a high frequency among th this population. And then, you know, he, he really, um, you know, but begins to transition and begins to lose touch with reality. And begin, and we, and, and, and the mind's inability to recognize that it's not in touch with reality, that it still is total reality to that person, but it's everybody outside that person who recognizes the individual has lost touch with reality. And we run into that all the time. And, and the movie portrays that. It's the behavior and the violence and that's in there as a part of it is extremely, extremely rare and, uh, and, and just a extreme minority of instances that ever happen. Most people are. And by the way, again, when violence is perpetrated by someone in an untreated state of mental illness, very commonly it's resisting arrest or someone in resisting arrest, sometimes they'll go and they'll have a assault on a police officer or sometimes family are trying to help them, loved ones, and the person doesn't want to be helped because of that state of mind that they're in. And there might be, you know, they, they get too confrontational or sometimes people are threatened and it results in some kind of violence. I can actually know of a situation here in town where that actually happened and uh, a, a gentleman was killed. Uh, that was a long time ago. And, you know, it was really, really difficult to watch. And I just sat there thinking, oh my gosh, we're doing all this work to end stigma, to help people understand to what degree is this movie putting people back to the mindset, man, mentally ill people, ooh, I don't want to be, you know, get around them. Oh my goodness, this could happen to me. And that's just, that's a, that's a false portrayal. So after I got out of the movie and uh, me and my friend were um, talking on the way home, the thing I kind of was stammering a lot and I was trying to process um, what I thought and my feelings because I did appreciate Joaquin's brilliant acting. Oh my goodness. What a, what a talent. Unbelievable. Of course, I don't know if you remember his brother, River Phoenix, who, uh, as I remember, he died from an overdose. Uh, but, you know, also he himself uh, was a fabulous talent and Joaquin came along and, you know, I, I mean, I mean, his, the acting in this is unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I read that he lost about 50 pounds for this role and I appreciated his brilliant acting, um, took a lot of issues with the movie, but I would still, I would say it's with any cinematic experience, if it makes you think, and if it has, if you are actively that you, there were moments where I forgot I was watching a movie, then they have achieved their, their job. We're going to talk some more about um, some of the things we took issue with. But one of the things that I pointed out, um, I said, well, as a mental health advocate, the one thing that I think that they did right was, and I'm pretty sure this is the chronology. Mike, you mentioned earlier that you wish you had seen it again. 
and I do too uh, now, so I could better have a different point of view and be more <laughs> critical. Um, but I believe this is the chronology that the subway incident happens. He kills uh, those young men, Has is very remorseful, very scared. And then I want to say very soon after that is the scene in his therapist, his Department of Health uh, caseworker, is he, he's sitting there and she says, you know, I'm sorry, but Gotham City has cut funding for mental health treatment and you are not going to be able to get your meds anymore. And he was like, but I need my meds, you know? And I think there's some more scenes of him running out of his medicine and um, it doesn't make it right what everything that came after it and it's horribly stigmatizing. But what did you think of that moment when they, when they cut funding for mental health? I didn't think that the, uh, you know, it, it, it had him in these meetings with a, his therapist. Um, it wasn't really clear to me, therapist, social worker, case manager, it wasn't really clear. But the whole portrayal of that each time they portrayed it, I thought it was very, very unrealistic. I thought it was very kind of contrived. I think they had a, they were doing things uh, for effect that the uh, lay audience who doesn't work in this field, they would just say that's how it looks and feels, and it doesn't. They got this barrier of this desk between them. They're sitting there like that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know anyone who I'm sure maybe somebody, I don't know anybody that practices that way, what have you. And I think it really, uh, again, stereotyping mental health professionals at that, that uncaring uh, and which potentially on viewers maybe says, well, I don't want to go in, talk to somebody that's going to be like that. I don't want to do that. That's not, that's not accurate. So that, that was very troubling for me. The whole, the, the funding cut, in my career, that has actually happened, not much, where uh, funding was cut to support the ability of low-income or no-income people being able to access and get their medications. But a lot has gone on since then, and and I think the chances of that happening in that way that's portrayed in the movie are, I'm not saying it can happen, I'm just saying it's highly unlikely and is our mental health care services funded appropriately? No, they're not. But there's so many ways and so much energy, I mean, that, um, you know, that people can be able to obtain and get their medications. There's a, now, sometimes people need help understanding that process. But uh, almost all the community mental health centers that I work with and I'm aware of, they're all very, very skillful making sure people can get their medications. And they face funding cuts all the time. Uh, they get funded. They're in funding increases. Their funding's cut. Their funding's increases. That's kind of the way it is. But they're able to get those medications. And and I know like our mobile medical intervention team, I mean, you know, here they are. Here we raise private money to support that, to be able to get people's medications. Here in Tulsa County, for example, Tulsa County Social Services Pharmacy, I mean, unbelievable service to the community. And a lot of communities do those kinds of things. You know, I, I think that is a real issue. But again, the, how they portrayed that, and again, sometimes they rationalize it. Either A, they don't know, the movie maker doesn't know, and they kind of decide how it's going to look. Or, you know, what do they say? What's the saying is, uh, we took 
artistic liberties or however they exactly. view that. I didn't think that was done very well in the movie. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But I do appreciate them saying that it was untreated. Like, anyway, there was yeah. there was a lot of like there were, I had so many conflicting emotions about this. Like I said, and I think that's why it was unsettling too. Is that there are some things where I am outraged, and there I understand this is I am outraged right now. It's very unusual that I'm like, but I appreciated this about you know. Oh, and I, and just to think, I mean, even when he was he was in a psychotic state, and he he was and they portrayed him as waxing very disturbed and and violent. I still found myself pulling for him. I still found myself hoping that things could turn out okay for him. And, you know, you know, and again, like you pointed out about seeing the movie twice, and again, for your, the listeners, you're talking to an old, uh, in my, back in my younger days, I used to be an old projectionist. And as an old projectionist, I got the, the, the value and opportunity to watch some movies, at least portions of them, more than once. And there's no doubt about it, if you see a movie twice, you'll see things that you completely miss the first time. If you see it a third time, you'll see things even more even more clearly that you miss the second time. And I've actually, again, as an old projectionist, Matt, <laughs> I've actually tested that many, many times on many movies. And there, it's interesting, movies that, there are movies I walk out of that I really enjoy, but I have no interest in seeing them again. Um, and many of them I had never have. This one, I like. I feel like I need to see it again, but I don't want to see it again. If that makes any sense. Yeah, but uh, and I'm trying to decide what to do with my students. You know, I supervise uh, social work students, and um, you know, I want them to. I I don't know whether I want to say don't waste your time or go and then let's talk about it. I think probably it's more useful to say go and watch it and then let's come back and let's have a conversation like you and I are having right now. Let's think through what's real in that movie and what isn't real in that movie. But like there are people who don't need to see that movie. Lots of people. Well, our friend Christy Sturgill, whose father had schizophrenia. She's our director of marketing and she's uh -huh. my homie, as you would say. Um, and when, so on Monday, when I talked to her about this, she, she says, I will not see that movie. Yeah. She, you know, it's not my wife. Um, not only was she not interested after, it's one of those movies after I saw it, I told her home, told her, I said, honey, <laughs> it's a really good thing you didn't go see that. You would have probably walked out, you know, in, in all honesty, Matt, I, I had several moments, at least two or three moments, where I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave. And I saw people walk out. Uh, I saw several people at the showing I was at. They walked out. You could tell they had their coats on. You can tell we're out of here. We don't need to watch this. And then I kind of like that old, what's the old um, adage? You know, like yeah, I, you know, it's a train wreck, but I can't keep my eyes off it. I don't want to watch. That's I kind of felt like that. I like I don't want to watch, but. I and I, I even had a sense of I got to see this through, uh, you know. And you know, I don't know if you noticed. Sometimes I don't hear soundtracks. It had a good soundtrack, uh, and see, it's so visually absorbing. Sometimes on your first time through, you don't hear that soundtrack, but you might go out and listen to the soundtrack. It's a pretty good soundtrack. You know, a recent movie. Uh, again, it's not for everybody, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And again, I now I, I wanted to see that one t twice, and I did. And 
And it was every bit worth seeing the second time. And I'd like to see it a third time uh, as me personally. But, but the first time I hardly heard, I heard a little bit of the soundtrack. The second time through, you know, it had an amazing soundtrack too. Um, and I, you know, it, it had disturbing in different ways, that movie. Again, this was on a whole other level of intensity. I mean, there was one close. I mean, was, I mean, I mean, it was a large part of the movie. His face was taking up almost all of the screen, and it, and that was intense. And then, uh, so it was. Man, it'll be interesting to see if he's nominated. I think oh. he will be. Whether he wins, I don't know. There's a lot of there's always great a lot of great performances out there, and you never know what the Motion Picture Academy uh, where which way they're going to go. Uh, it depends, but oh, the acting is like. And um, you know, did you hear Matt about that? He was kind. Of, he was on a guest talk show. I don't remember which one it was, but they showed a clip of him off camera getting really upset with one of the staff. Did you read about that? And he 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 was. I guess he was really embarrassed. They showed that on you know, and he was kind of embarrassed about it. And he, I, what I heard, I didn't see it, but I heard his comment was, "Well, some of these scenes, it gets a little intense." Man, I kept thinking about that, and you could, I mean, I'm sorry he went off on a staff member, and I'm sure he's made amends for that now in hindsight, but but boy, watching him with, you know, can you imagine the energy that it took him to do um, a lot of those scenes? I mean, just the, 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 the sheer emotional and psychological energy that it took for him to portray all that. It, it was a two to tour de force and as as far as that goes. Yeah, and that and and that's that. Those are my um, my sort of conflicting emotions. Like I'm going to be rooting for Joaquin Phoenix to get the best actor, the best award. actor, because uh-huh. I think it was brilliant. Did I? And then, but did does that mean that I liked the movie? I I don't. Know. Um, so at the, towards the end of the movie, he is in his apartment and he stabs his co- former co-worker to death with the scissors, right? Right before he does that, he says, I've stopped taking my medicine now and I'm feeling a lot better. And that's, so talk, if you can explain that people with serious mental illness, when they go off their medicine, why, why they go off their medicine? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a great question, Matt. And I'm glad you, you asked that because that was one of the, when, when that occurred in the movie, I mean, that happens with people all the time. And they stop taking their medicine, and oftentimes they're blamed as and labeled as irresponsible or, uh, con, you know, uh, oppositional or defiant, whatever sort of adjectives people get put on them. And a lot of times it's that these medications are very powerful. And like all other strong medications, they have side effects. And sometimes those side effects... Uh, for people are unpleasant, very unpleasant. You know, erectile dysfunction for males, but different types of sexual uh, lack of libido for women too, um, weight gain, uh, sometimes trim. I've heard people say, I constantly feel like my head's full of cotton candy. Uh, you know, uh, and again, a lot of people don't realize that if people have, say, for example, schizophrenia, not always if they hear voices, 
even on medication, uh, they'll continue to hear those voices. Those voices just aren't as distracting, what have you. But and so and people have these side effects. They feel they oftentimes you know lack of energy, and and they'll start sometimes. Who hasn't done this? Um, you'll start asking yourself, "Does this medication really helping me? Maybe I don't need this medication." And you know, sometimes it's as simple as that. And a lot of times, people will feel better initially. They're, they'll find renewed energy. They'll some of the side effects suddenly begin to clear up. Um, they, you know, they find themselves being productive. But then these illnesses are, you know chronic, reoccurring, what have you, and, and it's not unusual, very common, as a matter of fact, is that symptoms will eventually return. And and again, this is why I want your viewers, if they're listening and they have a loved one or they themselves are in recovery with serious mental illness, the importance of working with your prescriber, that it's not a one-time deal, uh, that you have to work and report back. And I know this is a real struggle for people, because sometimes it's just something as simple as the frequency that they get to talk to their doctor. And I think it's important for case managers, for social workers, for uh, whoever else is working with that individual, nurses, listen to what the, what the patient is saying about how the medications are affecting them. And sometimes people have to work a long time to find that minimum lowest possible dosage that works for them and helps them manage your symptoms. And sometimes it's they catch that really quick, but it's very common for it takes, they have to work and work and work. And a lot of times people, they don't do that or they're not well educated about the process and they won't continue. They'll just kind of drop out. And a lot of times that's when things will eventually turn out bad in terms of return of symptoms, and then the process starts all over again. Very painful, very common, I'm sad, I'm sad to say. Just a few more questions, Mike. Sure. Um, so one of the, the other things that I that kind of was like, huh, I wonder if that how legit that is. So at one point, he uh, the Joker goes to Arkham Asylum in search of proof that his mother did have serious mental illness herself. Um, Batman's dad said, your mom was... You know, and he wasn't very nice. Your mom was crazy. We put her in Arkham, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was very stigmatizing, very, you know, prejudicial, discriminatory, hate, uh, fear, uh, laced uh, dialogue there that was very painful uh, to watch. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And so uh, the Joker goes to Arkham Asylum, to, and he goes to the records department and, you know, the, the very sympathetic guy, very actually is pretty nice to the Joker. Um, and he's looking through the records and he actually says, okay, yeah, it looks like your mother, you know, she did have mental illness and she was treated here. That's one of the things that people worry about, I think, with mental illness is like, are my records going to be available? I mean, are people going to be able to find out? So can fan, like can family find out like can i go and see if for instance you know my grandfather had serious mental illness would they do family have rights to find old records at a mental health facility very difficult if not impossible um you know those are protected again it has different um there's different rules um but 
overall, it, it'd be very, very difficult for them. Matter of fact, the, the guy said, I don't think we're going to be able to share this with you. And and then so he grabs it from him and runs and and is able to get away and stuff. So, you know, again, that was pretty, it's kind of Hollywood there, what have you. But I know that a lot of times family members, and this is really that always that, you know, uh, those cross purposes that sometimes people want to find out, you know, again, that that they might inherit or their offspring may inherit. And and we do know that some of these serious mental illness, there is a genetic connection. We're still learning about that. It's not fully understood, but it's it's very common. And uh, and you can certainly appreciate that. And But those records a lot of times are very, very difficult to be able to secure, if not impossible. Even for family. Even for family. Okay. All right. So we're getting to the end here. I want to. So immediately, um, I went. Uh, I went home after this movie, and immediately I went on the internet because um, me and my friend were like, because the ending is obviously a trick ending. You don't know what you like. It sends. It's you know, which is it's really brilliant how they do it because you don't know what the heck just happened. You don't know what's real. You don't know if the whole movie was in his head, if what, you know, right. you, you have yeah. no idea what is real and what right. is not, which. Which uh, was, which I think was also trying to, as you look at that, that's, that's a lot of a person who is in, um, in a state of untreated mental illness, a, a psychotic state that uh, during those periods of time is that their reality to them seems completely real, but it isn't to anyone else. And you, they designed that as the viewer where you weren't sure what was real and what wasn't real, giving you your own sense as the viewer of what it must be like inside an individual's mind is that they are experiencing reality. It looks, it looks like it's reality. And, but it turns out it may or may not be, or it isn't, or it is. And, and individuals, sometimes they can't tell. So the article and it was like the one of the first articles i pulled up i was i just put in like joker ending <laughs> you know yeah. and it popped up and there was this uh it was this uh story and it had like six or seven people chiming in about what they thought the ending okay. meant so i'm curious and okay seriously people if you have listened this far i'm we're we're about to just blow the amazing disturbing, chilling ending. So spoiler alert, uh, Mike, what do you think happened at the end? Yeah. And I'm always, I'm not the best at this, uh, you know, but I mean, I think that on the hood of the car and his, you know, coming back to life or, or waking up or whatever, to me, that was a real resurrection rebirth type theme. Again, that's, that's Mike's speculation about that. What have you? I think the thing, though, is a part of that, and it led up to, you know, to this this finale, is all the individuals in the movie that were also wearing masks and their identification with him and almost their celebration with him. And, and you know, and I, I was trying to, you know, kind of like you as I left, what did that mean? And I, and I, I finally kind of landed on is that, that people, that people out there, many, many people around us every day have been traumatized, who have been made fun of, uh, who have been laughed at, um, and 
that they're trying to bring joy to the world, but they can't seem to bring joy to the world, to the people around them, to the relationships they have. But they identified with him in that way. And the, one of the ways they identified was they put a mask on too. And their mask is like, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I, I understand what you're going through. I have the same thing. Now that's how I, interpret that but that that doesn't mean that's accurate but but that was what i was kind of taking out of that because uh but yeah i i don't know i mean it was the end in the institutional setting that was very painful uh to see that i think that again what came to mind there for me one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh and which we know at the time um uh you know we found wildly entertaining and now knowing what I know now and knowing people that that movie was in many ways was very stigmatizing also. But it did. That was what came to mind for me was One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, even though that movie was uh, more or less it was a comedy and a, a satirical comedy. But um, but this was this had just I was just in pain. I know I hate your listeners are hearing like, oh my God, I want to see this movie. But again, it, it, it also has a catharsis. And I certainly, uh, uh, Joker was, uh, there was a lot of, for me, a tremendous amount of catharsis. It just didn't, sometimes catharsis can be very cleansing. I didn't feel like this was, it was a catharsis for me, but I didn't experience it as cleansing. Uh, I felt like more disturbed, kind of sad, depressed. Uh, didn't want to really talk that much going home. Uh, I didn't, you know, I just, and it took me a while like you. I had to process it. I was processing it the next day, which, by the way, I always say, you always know you've seen a good movie when you're still thinking about it the next day. Oh, I was still thinking about this the next day and the day after that. Uh, so, uh, Okay, last question. Um so people have seen this movie um, um, and like you and me, um, but they don't work at Mental Health Association Oklahoma. We're blessed to work here. But, you know, the regular ordinary people who see this movie um, and they, they they are having conversations. That's That's one of the things that in light of horrible tragedies that happen, sometimes they are good conversation starters. So this is the number one uh, R-rated movie of all time. It's making a lot of money. People are talking about it. So as a mental health advocate, all, all the mental health advocates listening to this, what advice would you give them when they are in a at work or with friends and they say, hey, did you see this Joker movie? What points would you want them to make to their friends, to their coworkers that would kind of help um, – move our mission along or give perspective or make them think, you know, what, what advice would you give to someone who just saw this movie and they're going to have conversations tomorrow? Again, you, you, everybody has to see it and draw their own conclusions, but I would hope that they would be able to communicate. Well, my understanding is, is that this is, you know, um, the, the rate of violence perpetrated by somebody with a serious mental illness, even in an untreated state, is extremely rare. And that this is, you know, really, a, a, in a lot of ways, a, a Hollywood creation, uh, a writing creation that's been adopted is into a movie form. 
that provided a vehicle for an incredibly talented actor to kind of really uh, put all of his powers and skills out there on display from an artistic standpoint. But the frequency of somebody doing that, I mean, you know, to be afraid of people with even untreated mental illness that they're going to do something like this, uh, that's that's a pretty big stretch and that you need to be careful because it can be stigmatizing in your mind about people with serious mental illnesses the way they are. That's just not true, not accurate. And I think that's something that would be hopefully that people would communicate that. And uh, I, I really worry again, you know, being in the profession, I can see through that, but somebody that's not in this business, it doesn't work with individual spend time hasn't been trained hadn't been had professional education uh, extensive clinical practice which is most of the people out there uh, is uh, you know uh, the majority of the people that are listening to us here today they don't know any better and it's easy to adopt all this and accept it as well this must be how it is and that's just not true um, I want to close this out, Mike, and uh, you are the one who, uh, and I say this a lot on the podcast, you are the, at the end of a lot of our meetings, you, you tell your staff, go do good things. One, wait, why do you say that? I've never asked you, why do you say go do good things? Because the work of the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma is, uh, the work that we de- do here is making uh, our world a better place. And why is it that, what is it we're doing that makes it a better place? We're doing good things. Uh, We're listening to people, we're helping people, we're helping people secure affordable housing, we're helping people get the services that they need, we're helping people find employment, Uh, we're helping people uh, navigate sometimes a mental health care system that that isn't, isn't that easy to navigate. Um, you know, we're doing all these good things. So go, let's go do good things. And uh, uh, let's not talk about it. Let's go do it. And I, that's why I say that. And go do good things. You know, uh, in, in, in perspective of this movie, if Joker, um, what was his name? Arthur? What was it? Arthur. If Arthur Fleck, if Arthur Fleck gets the treat, mental health treatment that he needed at the quality that we expect, there's no movie, right? He's he's doing good in recovery. And we see people doing good in their recovery every day, living their lives, they're all around us. There are coworkers, they sit in church or synagogue or, or the mosque with us. They, um, they're, they're our friends, our neighbors, what have you, we have no idea and they're all around us and they're afraid to tell us that because they're afraid of the judgment and the prejudice uh, and the discrimination that they are at risk to undergo and so they just go about their business and it turns out they're all around us every day doing good things.